Oh, hi, welcome. This episode of Life in Red is really cool. We dig into a whole sort of things that is all about the brain. Uh, mental health, brain optimization, how we can rewire it to help treat things like anxiety and depression. Um, you might recognize him. He is from season eight of Big Brother Canada, uh, the, the season, sorry, that was canceled due to COVID. Um, he is a brain transformation specialist. He's a neuroscientist. He is the game changer. Please give it up for Chris Wiley. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, I, I want to get right into this because there's a lot of stuff I'd love to get to. And, you know, I'm curious for myself, and I know a lot of people are curious. Um, but let's just lay that the groundwork right, right off the bat. You know, how did you get to where you are, and how many years have you been working, kind of, in the mental health neuroscience field? Yeah, great question. Well. I mean, how I got into this is, is I had a brain that was in big trouble myself and turned into my own personal mission to figure out how to optimize my brain. So getting into neuroscience and the mental health, this is what, wasn't what I initially set out to do. I was planning to go to Harvard Law School, Yale Law School, get a Yale business degree, you know, Wall Street kind of thing. Um, but I always dealt with really bad anxiety and panic attacks. And my solution was just to work so darn hard, even if I was having a full-on panic attack, I could just vomit everything by rote from memory onto the page. And that carried me through high school, got me through the first two years of college. But as things started to grow, and I was thinking about going to law school, and the anxiety and everything started to really pick up, and I didn't have any way of dealing with it. And for anyone dealing with anxiety, it's not like you mean to do it. It's just before you know it, you go into a test situation and your heart's beating out of your chest and your mind's racing and you can't process a single word. And of course, when you're in that state, and I know all about that because I had my own slew of panic attacks and was hospitalized, it's in that state, you're already immobilized. So I was actually hospitalized, 30 pounds underweight, had anxiety problems, panic attacks, uh, even some addiction problems. Uh, got into got into some really bad places. Um, got to see the ins and outs of academia, though. And trust me, Ryan, you know, in academia and college, like kids are popping things like Ritalin like they're Skittles. And I got news for you. That's speed, right? So that's going to take any underlying anxiety and make it even worse. So basically, long story short, was hospitalized. And then I set, you know, really set out on a mission to figure out how the brain works and to learn everything I could. And initially what I found was in the field of psychology, there was a lot of like theories that were all based on rationalizations in hindsight to figure out why you got your problem. But there wasn't any place I could go in a book and go, okay, you got anxiety, here's the three-step manual on how you get rid of it. And even in neuroscience at the time, you were throwing the idea that the brain was still fixed and hardwired, so basically, if you had a poor set of genes, in other words, you were pretty damn screwed. Um, and then I dug a little deeper into neuroplasticity and found out that, you know, in fact, the brain is changeable. And when I learned that, the first thing I wanted to do was to use some form of EEGs, brain maps, or fMRI to figure out what was going on in my own brain. And I dove into everything from neurofeedback 
nootropics. Nootropics have been like a really big thing the last mm -hmm. couple of years. This was something 10 years ago, I was ordering them from overseas European pharmacies. It was the original form of paracetam. It was called nootropil. There was other forms of nootropics like hydrogen that increased blood flow to the brain. So I played around with those a little bit and um, learned about the brain, tested EEGs while taking those. Um, of course, I got myself into some trouble using those because uh, the thing is with no, every nootropic, there's no such thing as a biological free lunch. And nootropic thousand foot view, a lot of these nootropics work by increasing certain uptake of things like choline and glutamate. What happens is you got to have a choline booster to balance it. So I was 23 and I got called up by a company in the U.S. to come speak in Atlantis, Bahamas. And I was playing around with some nootropics and I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll come speak on brain nutrition. But I was getting these nasty headaches taking these nootropics. And I didn't know, was it too much choline, not enough choline? So I started by taking a lot of the paracetam, using up a whole bunch of choline, made the headache worse. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I need more choline. I take the choline the next day, got even worse headache. So here I am set to give a talk on brain nutrition and nootropics, and I've just completely fried my brain on nootropics. So, <laughs> so I had to work through that one. And then eventually I got to the point where I would work with clients and they'd have anxiety, they'd have an addiction. I'd get their brain balanced, get their EEG looking perfect, getting good blood flow, working with a you know, functional medicine doctor, blood chemistry's nice and balanced, but still they go home and they keep on lighting up that cigarette. Still they go home and they still open and close a drawer 20 times because they got OCD. You know, the OCDs make for great personal assistance, by the way, Ryan, just in case you're wondering, hey, you know, growing your podcast, everyone's going OCDs bad. That's where you send a direct message to the person with OCD going, hey, would you mind being a personal assistant? All right, because they, they make great personal assistants. Mm. And then the people with ADHD make great salespeople, right? Because they're going, you know, this, they're trying to sell to that person. The next person comes and they go talk to them. And they're talking to that person and this person. Before you know it, they've just sold 10 deals to 10 people. Mm. And the little turtle there who got 95% in business school sitting there with their head spinning going, how in the world did he just do that? Yeah. That's interesting <laughs> how uh, what some people view as weakness can also be someone's strength, especially when it comes to, to mental illness. Um, yeah. Touched on a lot of things there. And uh, I, I am really curious, um, before we get into some of those nitty gritty science details, um, where did it come to, you know, when you talk about neuroscience, I think a lot of people assume it is in the academia field. You know, you're in the into the research into, you know, more of that sciencey um, working at the university background. Whereas, like, you've kind of come out, and you know, you have your, your website and you're you're giving interviews on TV, podcasts, radio, all these different things. Why did you kind of want to come out and uh, be more of like a speaker towards it uh, as opposed to? staying behind the field, working in like, you know, behind the scenes? Great question. Great question. And this is where my, my undergraduates in neuroscience and psychology. And what happened was, is when I went set out that mission, optimize my brain, I was learning so many things, accelerated learning techniques, hypnosis. I mean, I was working on photographic memory and I went in and got like 99% on a fourth year neuroanatomy course. And the professor takes me aside. I did it in 30 minutes. And he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Right? Like, 
how? And I'd sit down in office hours and have a conversation with them. And it'd be like, whoa, that, like, that's really cool. So I was always kind of a, kind of a trailblazer, like going off and learning on my own. And what happened was it was just the end of fourth year university. And I put some videos on YouTube and some companies in the U.S. had seen it. And they're like, hey, do you mind coming down and speaking for us? And I basically ended up making a whole professor's salary for one talk at the age of 21. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Right. Mm. <laughs> so very quickly, it's like, okay, I'm going to run my own business. And I, and I always been kind of a free thinker that said, you know, you have to learn from experts. Apprenticeship's the most powerful way to learn. So initially I started learning from a few different neuroscientists who took me under their wing, taught me what they knew. And I was actually at university. I was working in a clinic with a doctor using EEGs, neurotechnology, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So I got a ton of experience under my belt really quick. And I was always more interested in how can I help people engineer changes in their brain and behavior versus trying to understand things and explain them in hindsight, right? Because the field of academia, it's a slow process. It's a very slow mm -hmm. conversation, right? For me, I wanted to look at someone who had anxiety is how can I help this person get rid of the anxiety, not in years, but in minutes. So I just went out and, and found people who had the skills to be able to do that. And I eventually got into, um, in the field of psychology, I got into what's called neuro-linguistic programming. And that's basically a methodology to help program your behavior and thinking. So I went, okay, who created this field of NLP? Because I'm going to learn from, I'm going to learn from the guy who created the whole thing. Because I don't want someone's regurgitated Cole's notes of NLP. I want the pure source. So it turned out a guy named Dr. Richard Bandler was a co-creator and NLP is all about linguistics, suggestions, uh, techniques. So I went to him and I saw him take, you know, bring a person on stage who had a phobia and literally in 20 minutes, he did an NLP technique and a bit of hypnosis. And this person was riding up and down an elevator. And I saw that and I was like, okay, that's cool. Right. I, I want to help people like that. If they have come in with a problem, I want to be like a mechanic and help them to get rid of the problem. So I basically went up to him, told him I was the best student he ever had. He didn't know it yet. And six months later, I was touring around with him learning. So, you know, one route, you know, if you're going to become a medical doctor, you got to go through medical school. If you're going to be a neurosurgeon, you better darn well be highly trained up thousands upon thousands of hours of co-op and training, knowing what you're doing. So for me, I knew kind of the target I wanted and this field of self-development kind of already started, right? So it turns out the more freedom you have as you know, the practitioner to go try things. Say I can go try do hypnosis with someone. I can do NLP with someone. I can try all kinds of funky neurofeedback protocols with someone because I don't have the restrictions and I just want to help people. Right. And, you know, and I'll leave the, you know, the medical advice to the medical doctors and just go from there. Right. Um, a couple of things you brought up. I, you know, I love that there are science communicators kind of like you who are out there who are explaining this stuff in a, a digestible way where it's not just stats, figures, numbers, and that bogs people down and, and doesn't make them confident in, in getting into, you know, into getting better really because you you just yeah. kind of get bogged down in the science words um 
let's let's dive into this right now. So you, you've said a lot of words, you know, neuroplasticity, EEG, um, and a lot of these things people don't understand. And especially when you're talking about hypnosis, I think some people maybe put their hands up and they're like, what are you talking about? What is, wh- why I would yeah. be hypnotizing be something that could help my mental health. So mm-hmm. let's talk about those, those things that you're giving to people, these tools and, and you're helping them through. How are they working? How, yeah. how do they, I, I mean, fix these, these mental health yeah. issues? Let's let's address the kind of the big one that gives people the you know the chills the Halloween chills coming because it's you know coming to October yeah. is you know a lot of people get the perception that something like hypnosis is where you know you hang up a watch and you take control over someone's mind. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't quite work like that. And the thing is, is hypnosis is all about at least the way I do it. It's all about inducing altered brain states. And what that allows you to do is is all our limits and habitual thought patterns are are just limited to our normal waking states of consciousness. And what hypnosis can allow us to do is is basically is a set of tools and methods to help someone change their brain state and access desired abilities. So there's different brain states. And I measured this with EEGs. What's an EEG? It's basically something that measures your brain activity, your brain waves. Mm And throughout the course of the day, and your listeners will know this, is you go through different states throughout the course of the day. When you wake up in the morning, your mind's kind of lucid. You have that reverie state. It's kind of that, you know, that bridge between unconsciousness and consciousness. And you start thinking more lucidly. Then as you wake up, you, you, you know, you start becoming more vigilant. And, and your brain waves are changing this entire time. So basically, when I'm doing hypnosis, it's all about identifying what the person wants. So maybe they want to help enhance their memory. So then I'm going to use hypnosis and NLP to basically help that person get into a state where photographic memory, their ability to visualize is going to be enhanced. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now, let's talk about insomnia, right? What do you think the insomniac needs? They need to get to that nice, empty, clear mind state and be able to access it when their head hits the pillow. Right. So I use, you know, use a bit of hypnosis. I mean, you could call it directive meditation where you get someone to a really calm, balanced brain state. And then you basically educate their brain how to do it and get them good at relaxing or get them good at visualizing or get them good at controlling the feelings in their body. So the problem is with most seminars, self-development programs is in order to change a response like anxiety, it's got to be there, right? So if you get someone all nice and inspired and stuff during a seminar, that's great. But if it bears no semblance to the state they're in, when they hit back to the day-to-day grind, they're just going to go back to all those same automatic triggers. Right. So with something like hypnosis, it's a tool to help us to create and alter someone's brain state. Now, the field of self-development, they use supplements. They use neurofeedback. They use all these different interventions. I like using both, right? I like using the mind itself as a tool to change what your brain and body are doing, right? And this is where a lot of things like anxiety, a lot of things like even, you know, getting depression, sometimes your feelings are just spinning in a certain direction. And if you just consciously take control of your feelings, start to reverse them, you can literally change how you feel. And there's a whole, there's a whole set of methods and tools that people can use to start taking control of their mind, of their brain. 
It's the greatest skill you can learn, right? If you can turn your anxiety on and off, then it's not a pain in the butt, it's an asset, right? Anxiety is only a problem when you're doing it all the time. But even something like anxiety is times and places where, hey, you know what? This helps propel motivation, right? Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. if we took all the people and got rid of all their anxiety, right? If we gave them the total anti-anxiety, most powerful dope on the planet, and they all smoked it, and they got no more anxiety, I'll tell you, the motivation productivity would be in the toilet. Mm -hmm. So it's the, one of the biggest problems is people look at these things like anxiety. People look at things like depression as something wrong as opposed to just a product of the brain's ability to learn, right? So if someone has a bad experience after them, a traumatic experience, sure, it's going to register big, bright, and nasty in your brain, and you could replay it over and over again, right? And that served a purpose, right? You know, people don't want that. You don't want that to ever happen to you again. So it registers in the brain. But that doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It just meant that your brain learned and coded that experience big, bright, and vivid. Right? So all you need to do is if you want to get past it, change how those thoughts are represented and begin to replace them with new things to move towards. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really fascinated by the, basically the properties of the mind and our ability to basically change our mind, to change how we think, how we feel, what our brain does and really start to design and engineer the person we want to be, the future we want to be, and the skills and abilities we want to have. Mm -hmm. There's, as I've been you know, speaking and advocating in the mental health realm, I've connected with a ton of different people who you know, have their thoughts and theories on the way they advocate for mental health. And I've, I've kind of found, I don't know if you share the same, there's two kind of categories I find when you get into this. There's one where I kind of fall into where I I'm highly motivated. And when I'm giving speeches, I'm talking about things kind of like you're talking about as being proactive and doing all these things to try to give your mind the best chance to mm -hmm. succeed. Then you kind of have another one where it's more, um, I guess you, you kind of sit and wallow with it that you just kind of accept this is the way it is. And yeah. it, it's, it's not really, you know, you just got to live with it and everything's, you know, supposed to be okay. And, and, or you're not yeah. supposed to be okay. You know what I mean? So I guess yeah. the motivated, demotivated. Yeah. Is there a way to take those demotivated people and try to show them, you know, the things that you're trying to teach? Like, are there ways that you try to reach out to, to people who might not be highly motivated, yeah. but you're like, I, I know I can help you. Like, how do you kind of get them to, to move in that direction? It's a great, great, great question, right? You got people on the island, the land of accept yourself, and mm -hmm. you know, let's have yeah. a pity party, right? And, you know, this is potentially genetically determined and so and such. Then you got the people on the other island going, you know, hey, you know what? You can create the destiny you want. You just got to make a decision today. Take massive action. Boom, you can do it, mm -hmm. right? How do you bridge that gap? Well, if you had a bridge and you had a bicycle and you showed someone how to ride the bicycle, they'd be able to get themselves across the bridge. It's just nobody teaches you how to ride the bicycle across the bridge. And basically what that is, that's a metaphor for teaching people how to control what their brain and mind do. And what the people who are on the accept yourself island, what they miss is the fact that when you were born and you were three, you were four, I can guarantee you, you weren't depressed. I can guarantee you, you didn't have generalized anxiety. And what does that mean? Right? Everyone talks about all behavior is belief-driven. It's more like all behavior is learned. Mm. So they learn to get depressed. They learned anxiety. 
right? Which means if you can learn it, it means you can unlearn it. And sure, you might have certain predispositions. Everyone may have a weak point, but that's all the more reason why you want to learn how your brain works so you can turn those weaknesses into strengths, right? So someone's sitting at home and they feel depressed, right? The one thing that's going to get them motivated and convinced that they can change is by producing changes with them in that moment. So when you're working with someone, and when I work with someone with depression, the most important thing is not me saying, hey, look, you, you can live and have a better life. Hey, look, you got a future, you got to go for it, you got to focus on it. The most powerful thing I can do in that moment is do something that they don't think can be done. And that would be maybe getting rid of the depressed feeling, getting them in control of it in the driver's seat of their own brain, giving them an experience and teaching them how to ride the bike. It's the most important thing, right? When you get kid, you know, kids good at things, motivation, they'll be self-propelled. So for these people who you know, believe they got to accept the way they are, that's just because no one's taught them, hey, you know what, you got anxiety? Okay, well, you just got to change the mental images your brain's making, right? People, it's COVID-19. You got mm -hmm. millions of people sitting around at home hallucinating getting the COVID-19 virus. They're literally sitting at home fantasizing, seeing themselves in their mind getting COVID-19 and feeling bad, right? So if you teach people how to control what they think, how to control their thoughts, how to control their mental images, how to control their internal dialogue, how to control their feelings, now they have the skills to be able to deal with these problems, right? So these problems are very real. The person who's dealing with schizophrenia, that reality is very real for them, right? So it's not that it's not real. It's not that they're not talking to the devil. In their mind, they're talking to the devil. You just need to give that person some skills to be able to take control of the thought process to get into the driver's seat, right? Someone like yourself, Man, you want to get in that driver's seat so bad, even if you don't know how to drive, you're going to get behind the wheel and you're going to make stuff happen, right? These other people, they're scared to even get in the car. They don't even think that car can get anywhere, right? So we got to like not only convince them to get in the car, we got to teach them how to drive it so they can actually start moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the, it's, and I've had this conversation with so many different people because it's just one of those things and, and, you kind of can't win in, in a lot of situations where I'm talking about all these things I'm trying to do to get better. People are like, oh, that doesn't work for me. I like, you know, I don't want to exercise. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that, even though we know it helps. Yeah. And I think this is such a great opportunity for people, especially that you brought up COVID, where cases are on the rise. Um, I'm not sure where you are in the country, but, you know, in Ottawa, like they're talking about closing down again and, and shutting everything down. And we're going into winter, seasonal affective disorder, all these different things yeah. are kind of going to be coming to a head, um, especially with mental health. I, I, I know you offer tons of great things on your website. I, I was scrolling through, but what's a, an example of something, maybe someone's listening to this and maybe a little skeptical that they could maybe try to take control of, of their yeah. brain or at least take that first step? Yeah. First thing is when they say, hey, that may not work for me, very often they may be right because every brain is unique. Mm -hmm. So how each person creates the anxiety and how it functions in their brain is going to be a little different, right? So basically when I work with a client and let's say I'm going to just do some, some NLP work, some change work is what I'll essentially do is I'll figure out what their brain is doing to produce that anxiety. And usually something like anxiety boils down to a 
you're either doing bad planning, that is you're imagining worst case possible outcomes, a lot of this stuff just functions unconsciously, or B, you're remembering and automatically firing off a learned response. So once I do that, basically, I'll help them consciously change the images they're making, how they feel, their state, and then I'll just, you know, I'll do some trance work to make it really, really easy. Now, if you're dealing with something, so you gotta identify, so the first thing kind of you gotta do as a human being is you gotta identify objectively what your strengths are and then what your weaknesses are, and then you figure out ways to turn the weaknesses into strengths. It's pretty simple, right? So there's lots of things you can do. Yes, yeah, sure, exercise will boost your dopamine, will boost your brain-derived nerve growth factor. It'll make you feel better, right? But maybe that's not doing it enough. Okay, so that's one little piece, right? Then you go kind of the mental piece, and you start learning about, okay, what can I do to optimize my mind? Okay, maybe a little meditation, maybe a little NLP. Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll do a little neurofeedback to help balance things. Now, what I do is when I work with someone is I've kind of done all these things throughout the course of my career. So I do EEGs, brain maps, neurofeedback. I'll do an EEG and a brain map if I think that there's something neurochemically imbalanced. So if I work with someone with anxiety or depression, I think, you know what, there might be something neurochemically and functionally imbalanced, I'll do a 20-channel EEG and brain map just to check. And really, people love the objective feedback. They love seeing their brain on the screen, how it's functioning. And then I can do some interventions, give them a nutrition plan, do some neurofeedback work, do some mental work, and then we can remap their brain 30 days later and see the changes. What is, can you just uh, quickly, what is neurofeedback? So neurofeedback, there's different types of neurofeedback, okay. but what it involves is it involves some way of sensors measuring your brain activity and then some way of feeding that back, communicating it to your brain to allow your brain to help to change itself and balance. So one example is, is you have sensors attached to your brain and you're watching a TV show. And whenever your frontal lobes produce the desired brain wave, the screen gets nice and clear. Whenever your brain waves, your frontal lobes aren't producing the desired frequencies, the screen gets blurry. Now that's one way, that's the slow way. I mean, you gotta do 40, 50, 60 sessions of that to change. Another form of neurofeedback is you have sensors measuring your brain activity. Whenever your brain, let's say, is producing a nice balanced alpha frequency associated with focus, calm, the music's clear. Whenever your brain produces that nice alpha frequency, the music fed into your ears is clear. Whenever the brain isn't doing that, the music starts getting jumbled up. So that is basically a little feedback mechanism to help increase your brain's production of the desired brain waves. Right. Okay. Is that yes. Um, I just now, wanted to make sure that, you know, um, don't like tossing out big words <laughs> that I don't understand. So, um, yeah, I, I am curious about uh, one thing that I've, I've really kind of been focusing on, uh, I guess for the past year is, um, how nutrition and how everything plays into our mental health, uh, uh, learning about yeah. gut microbiome and all those different things. What are, you know, what are things that you do to, to feed, I guess, feed your mind? You know, you, you hear things yeah. like fish oil or omegas. Again, we get a lot of buzz terms without that education, um, yeah. what they do. I mean, you did mention one of the king supreme brain nutrients there in DHA, mm. uh, now, most people don't know why. Mm -hmm. Now, basically DHA is a fatty acid, and if you look at studies, 
every study done on fish oil DHA, so DHA is the molecule in fish oil that produces a lot of the brain benefits. Every study done on fish oil has basically shown positive benefits. The reason why is because DHA is a fundamental component of the cell membrane, and it helps the cell membrane be fluid, flexible, and signal really, really well. And when we have better signaling, when our cellular membranes, which are communication devices in our brain, signal better, we have better communication, better signaling in the brain, which is going to mean better neurochemistry, better thinking. So DHA fish oil improves thinking, improves memory, because it gets the cell membranes working better, and it increases neurotransmitters like dopamine, which boosts motivation, boosts focus. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, what kind of fish is best in DHA? Now, which, which do you think has more DHA? The, the little swimming kind of small crab that's right near the shore on the St. Lawrence, or do you think the deep Alaskan king crab at the bottom of the ocean has more DHA? Which one do you think has higher DHA concentrations? Sorry to put you on. Yeah, no, it's okay. I like it. Uh, I would say, I mean, I would say the big one, theoretically. Um, I don't know. Am I wrong? <laughs> you're, you're right, man. The okay. big, yeah, you got it. <laughs> You got now the big king crab at the bottom of the you know the Arctic Ocean has more DHA because the water is so much colder. It has to have more DHA in its cell membranes to keep it fluid and flexible to keep it from freezing. So DHA is literally like cellular antifreeze. Now when we look at every disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, what do we see? we see a buildup of plaque, a buildup of neurofibrillary tangles. We see basically a hardening of neural networks. What does DHA do? It does the exact opposite. It keeps our brain supple, keeps them malleable, keeps our membranes fresh, keeps the receptor sites on our you know, neurotransmitter receptors nice and fluid. It keeps signaling going well, keeps us young and vibrant. So this is fundamentally why DHA is one of the king brain nutrients for our brain membrane health, cell membrane health, and for signaling and our neurotransmitters, right? So if anyone listening to this is dealing with, you know, the seasonal affective disorder, as you mentioned, or mood disorders, increasing your DHA intake is gonna help elevate your mood. And fundamentally, DHA comes from marine sources, right? Land sources, the omega-3s they have is called ALA. It's a different geometric structure than DHA. So I recommend, you know, if possible, you know, if it suits your diet, consume some marine-based fish. So obviously go lower on the hierarchy. Don't be eating the albacore white tuna, but eat the lake trout. Eat some of the sockeye salmon. If you can get nice, fresh oysters, get fresh oysters and seafood. Those seafoods loaded in brain nutrients like iodine, iron, B12, extremely important, especially for women going into pregnancy. Right, so I work with a lot of autistic kids, and one of the factors we see leading to autism incidents is mothers going in with low iron, low B12, and low iodine, and some form of autoimmunity. Right, so before you produce a baby, and you think about it, your body's going to make a basically a whole human brain. You want to make sure you're loaded with iron, with iodine with DHA, with B12 to help produce the healthiest baby possible. So, 
it, you know, it's the, one of the things is, is I work with, you know, we mentioned anxiety and now we're mentioning DHA. A lot of times women, especially dealing with anxiety and fatigue and overwhelm is very often we'll see iron deficiencies as well. So this is where if you clear up a lot of the nutrient deficiencies, it can have a big, big difference on your mental health. And that's where, you know, if you, you want to get your, your, met, your levels checked, you want to find a good functional medicine doctor to make sure that your iron levels, your iodine levels, your thyroid, your DHA levels, everything is in good balance. And you can get a test. It's called an omega-3 to omega-6 ratio test. And ideally, you want it like four to one or below, meaning four omega-6 to one omega-3. DHA, it is the king brain nutrient. So it's so, so important. And, you know, I think that's where even like the Eskimos or the Inuit, like they would literally give the head of a fish to the young child because it has so much DHA in it that it helps their brain. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of theories of evolution on how humans have always developed around coastal areas. And around coastal areas, there was readily accessible seafood like oysters, which are high in iodine and DHA. Iodine boosts thyroid. It's very levitational. And that helped produce bipedalism and the development of the human brain. So this is where when you're looking at, okay, how do I eat to fuel my brain? You kind of want to look at what the brain's made of. And yeah, the brain is by dry weight, 65, 70% fat. Okay, so you got to get the healthy fats. All right, what are the cell membranes made of? Okay, they're made up of a lot of DHA and a lot of phospholipids. Now, what's like a phospholipid? Like choline and egg yolks, right? So egg yolks, wild fish, like the healthy fats are really important for helping to heal a brain. And if you, you know, if you have a family history of Alzheimer's or dementia, that just means you need to get even more choline to protect and build a reservoir, right? To just, you know, to help protect your brain beyond danger. And, you know, the nice thing about people listening to this is if you do have a brain problem or if you are worried about something, it's just a prime opportunity for you to learn about yourself, to learn about your brain, empower yourself, and then start to share that knowledge with other people. And there's yeah, always think, a Sorry, go ahead. Wait, how? Yeah, no, I was just, just going to jump in there. And I think that's such an important point that whether you have a mental illness or not, I mean, right now, especially where we are at in the world with, with protests, and, and I don't know if you watched the debate last night, but holy shit, um, you know, yeah. the pandemic, all these different things that are just causing us so much mental anguish. And again, if you have, like, this all applies. And I think that is a, a very important point that even though we might be talking about people with anxiety and depression, I mean, we, like you said, right off the top, we all experience anxiety and this can help everybody. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't, you know, you don't have an issue with it or not. Um, wrote down a lot of different questions here because I was watching some of your videos on your Instagram, which is, was really great. Um, I want to go back to the, the learned state, um, uh, okay. especially when it comes to anxiety. Um, okay. So when we're kids, you know, and, and growing up and we experience all these, you know, maybe traumatic events or, or different things in our lives, mm -hmm. how much does that truly relate to what we experience, you know, later in life, especially once our, ba our brain has stopped kind of developing? 
that, I mean, that, that's a loaded question. Okay. And, and look, absolutely, our upbringing, the environment, the models of behavior we're surrounded with growing up will shape our neurology. It will shape our brain. And this is where the one promising thing about neuroplasticity is, is we could take a child from China, we could take a child from India, from Africa, from South America, from the Arctic. And in Ryan, if we wanted to teach them how to play hockey, we could teach them to play hockey. They have the neurology to learn and develop skills. So the most promising thing about the brain and neuroplasticity is it happens throughout our whole life. And that means we can constantly be learning, adapting, and changing. And the biggest thing I would say is if you had a childhood and you didn't have those models of behavior that exemplified successful skills, exemplified success, exemplified strength, right? If you had a lot of traumatic memories is number one, you got to learn how to get rid of that crap, right? Because if you want to create the future that you really want, if you want to create, you know, freedom for you to move forward, you got to reprogram that stuff. And it's not your fault, right? It's not the eight-year-old kid's fault that they, you know, were sexually molested or anything. That's not their fault. They're eight years old. They couldn't protect themselves. And, you know, it's so sad and it breaks your heart that this stuff happens, but it does happen. And we have to teach people mentally how to get through it, how to like actually be able to dissociate from those experiences in their mind, change how they're represented so that way they can move past and it doesn't eat them up anymore. Mm -hmm. So we want to start to clear away, number one, clear away the learned habits and experiences that don't serve us anymore, right? When, you know, for anxiety, sometimes when we were in grade three, people said, hey, you know what, let's get up and read in front of the class. It was more a test of public speaking than whether you could read. And maybe you got up and you didn't read so good. Now, all of a sudden, whenever you think of public speaking, that crappy grade three memory pops up in your head. We got to teach people how to clear away those mental images so then they can move forward. And one key thing on learning is we have what are called these mirror neurons. And these are neurons in our brain that fire in the same way when we watch and observe someone performing an activity as if we were performing itself. So Ryan, if I'm watching you, let's say I'm watching you hypnotize someone. Let me say I'm watching you do some martial arts. I have neurons in my brain that as I'm watching you are firing and activating as if I were performing the activity myself. Hmm. So when people say, the law of association, you become the five people you're surrounding yourself with. There's some truth to that. So you want to make sure that you give your brain good models, good guides for behavior, right? So maybe you're 45 years old and you've never had, there's no one in your life who inspired you or you could identify with. That means right now you want to go out and find someone on this planet who has some skills or abilities that you want to have and, and you want to start modeling them. You want to observe them perform because the more you watch them, the more your mirror neurons are going to fire, the more you're going to become like them. Hmm. That's really, that is really, really interesting. And when you put it out like that, it's like, Oh, like that does kind of make sense. Like when you're in a relationship with somebody, you start taking on some of their, maybe their mannerisms or stuff like that. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it goes to a belief that I kind of have that you got to kind of surround yourself with um, a good information, good people, right? Like if you're feeding your brain like shit information like reading the bad threads on twitter and everything like you're probably yeah. a negative person um I, I was listening to a, a podcast i think his name is dr uh, huberman and when we were he was talking about 
um, neuroplasticity in, in people. And he said, once you reach that, that quote age of 25, where your, your brain has kind of reached, you know, it's stopped really developing like it has when you, you were growing up, that it, it's really hard to change learned behavior and, um, you know, change your opinions or change, you know, all, it's just hard to make change in your brain because they're just, I guess, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but things don't fire quite the same, quite the same way. Is there truth to that? Do you have to work a little bit harder as the older you get? Well, Ryan, the way most people approach it, it is very difficult to change. Okay. So that's more comment. I would say that's more comment on the deficiency of skills that are commonly out there to help people change their brain. Mm, I found okay. you can really help any dog change any tricks. I mean, there are, pe Ryan, there are people with Parkinson's where you teach them how to consciously walk, how to focus on their limbs in a way they don't consciously focus, and they can develop motor control over their limbs and walk. I mean, look, if a person with Parkinson's can learn to control when they have like actual plaques in their brain deteriorating some of their motor patterns, if they can learn to control their brain, the average 50-year-old can. Now, the one truth to that statement is the fact that we do go through critical periods where Hey, yeah, look, when you're 12 years old or when you're eight years old, you have the brain is so plastic and you're not competing against any learned habits. So it's very easy to build new habits, right? So what happens is as we get older, we have more learned automated habits. And the only way to change that habit is to make a new habit that's stronger. And that's why I got into the NLP and hypnosis is to be able to help people really powerfully and quickly reprogram those habits and patterns and build extremely powerful new ones. So what you gotta do, and that's how you break an old habit, is by building a new, stronger one. And what happens is with neuroplasticity is whatever habit is the strongest and most familiar for your brain, it's gonna be the most easily activated. And whatever becomes the most easily activated then gets further hardwired in. So whatever you have, a, whatever you practice the most, your brain's going to do as a pattern, right? So it's kind of the plasticity paradox, mm. right? You can, you know, become more hardwired and stuck in your ways via plasticity because you keep practicing it over and over and over again. So the more, the more you would practice, um, the, the more entrenched it kind of becomes and the harder it becomes to break, would you say? I would say I would say the more it, it just becomes ingrained. Okay, gotcha. That does I mean that doesn't mean it's necessarily hard to change those patterns. It just means the more it'll be familiar for you, the more likely you are, you are to do it. And that's where there's certain ingredients you got to have to help people change. And one of the ingredients is usually when it reaches a threshold where you just get fed up with your problems. Mm -hmm. And most people it happens too late. It's not until they risk a heart attack. It's not until they have cancer. It's not until one of their relatives is gone. That point's too late. So what we want to do is when you're working with someone and you want to help them change, you want to help them get rid of that smoking habit or get rid of that cocaine addiction, you have to help bring them to that state of being totally fed up with their behavior. Mm. And so it basically reaches that threshold where now they shift a new behavior. So yes. you got to find stronger than that behavior it's like if you observe people who smoke i observe a lot of women who smoke oftentimes women who quit smoking the reason why they quit smoking 
is because they want to become a mom and they want to have a healthy kid. So what happens? They've now found something that's more important than smoking, something worth fighting for, something worth saying no for, right? So the problem is, is if you're trying to fight an addiction, that never works. You always have to overpower it with something stronger. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, I think I'm glad you kind of got to that point because that was kind of where I was trying to, to get to because I think what we're all looking at right now, especially when you could say the world is more divided than ever, is we're, we're looking for ways to change. We're looking for ways to change people's behavior. Basically, you know, we have people who, you know, are trying to change people's behavior on racism, on um, yeah. capitalism, on all these different things. And we kind of have, you know, shouting matches and name calling and all these different things. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a person involved in mental health, I'm like, okay, how do we, how, but with no science background, mind you, I'm in radio, but to, to try to get people to see our points of view at, in a psychological, like approach, um, instead of the way we kind of do it right now, which is very combative or debates and everything like that, right? We want to change their behavior, but get them there themselves. That's the magic question. Yeah. Right? The magic formula. Now, the thing is, Ryan, is every person's a little different. So basically, they say you can't make the horse drink. You can make the horse drink. It's just what you have to say to one horse to make it drink is going to be totally different than another horse. Mm-hmm. So this is where the more skilled you get as a communicator, the more you can structure your communication to get someone to look at the situation in a way it gets them to change. Now that onus is on you, right? If people are paying you to do coaching with them, to do training with them, that's your job, Ryan, to figure out how their brain works and then structure your skills and teachings to make it so it registers in their brain. That's the golden rule. That's brain-based persuasion. As you figure out how the brain of the individual works in front of you, and you structure your communication so it registers with them. I'll give you an example. I got a client from a, from a therapist who was deemed like the most resistant, stubborn client. No one ever could help this person. I'm like, okay, bring him in. So I have him sit in the chair. And I mean, I say I'm going to do a technique with this person that's going to work. They go, like hell, it's going to work. I say you're going to go in a trance and close your eyes to keep their eyes open. Right? So what I do is, of course, is, is I have them sitting there. And I grab a piece of paper, and of course, they don't think nothing's going to work with them, right? So if I start going in, tell them I get this great technique, it's going to help you get rid of anxiety, they're going to go, yeah, right. So what I do is I grab a piece of paper, and I write on the paper, I write a little something. Then I fold the note of paper, put it on the table that's in front of the chair. He's sitting on the chair. And what I do is I go in a moment, I'm going to do a little technique. His eyes are closed. In a moment, you're going to be completely stiff, completely frozen to the chair. And I go from five and I go, when you're there, when I get to one, you're going to be completely frozen. You're not going to be able to move, like get up and grab that note. So I go five, four, three, two, one. And what does he do? Of course, he wants to defeat what I say. So he gets up, he grabs the note and he looks at the note, he folds it open. And on the note, I have it written, you are now standing. He looks at me. His jaw dropped and I just see this big grin on his face because he was impressed by that because I could predict and change the behavior. So now all of a sudden that one little thing communicated to him, hey, you know what? I ain't fooling around. Mm -hmm. I know what the hell I'm doing. 
and I can help them change, right? So this is where if you try to fight with a polar responder, good luck, right? So if you come in, if you're working with someone and you say yes, they say no. You say this, they say yeah, but, and it's constant, right? So that's the kind of person I would go in. I'd go, you know what? I have this amazing technique, John, and it works for 99% of the people. They come in, they have anxiety, they do this technique, this process, and lo and behold, their anxiety's gone. But I go, you know what? It might not be worth doing with you. You know, it probably won't work. And they'll look at me, well, why wouldn't it work? I go, well, I don't know, do you, I just, I just don't, I think you're gonna be one of the people who I don't think it's gonna work with. And they go, well, hold on a minute. You know, it might work for me. Now, okay, will you at least try it with me? Okay, fine, I'll try it with you. Right, you bait them into it, right? Right, so that, you know, if you try to sell something to someone and they go, yeah, I'd buy this from you, I go, no way. I go, look, you know what? This product's not for you. And they go, well, well why ain't it for me? I go, you know, you're, you're just probably not the person who's gonna absolutely love this product, get so much joy out of it. That doesn't seem like you. They go, wait a minute, it might be me. Okay, maybe, right? So you, you, gotta, you gotta really, so, that, so there's these different things. So there's different processes people use to motivate themselves. That's an example of a congruent or a polar responder. Mm. So when someone says something, you can either respond and agree, you can have a polar response, or you can have a meta response. Oh, I understand that. Ryan, I'm gonna do a technique, it's gonna work. Like hell, it's gonna work. <laughs> polar response. Mm -hmm. response. Okay, that's yeah, gonna work. A meta response would be, I understand that. So you wanna kind of identify when you're communicating to someone how they respond. You there? Yeah, got it. <laughs> right, so, so that's gonna tell you what to do. Now, often, very times, this is where therapists, these kind of clients drive them nuts, right? Because the therapist is trying to get through, hey, look, you're just not talking to the devil. And they're like, you know what? The devil said you'd say that, mm. right? Like, and they just constantly have a response, right? And, and they get so used to outsmarting the therapists and stuff, and they have fun giving them headaches, right? So you got to learn how their brain works. And they give it away with their language, what they say, how they say it, and then be able to use that to your advantage does that make sense it does and it's it's i think a lot of people should take you know should listen like just isolate that one piece right there and just you know it would solve so much of our our issues it's it's basically you know we, we're not talking to each other and we're not listening to these these principles of of i guess engagement or of communicating mm. so it's interesting um but before i let you go i'm, I'm always curious you know um you're, you're a high performer, you know, you're doing all these different things, you're, you're helping people. I'm just curious, can you give a little insight on, on what, maybe what a day is like for you to help reach that, that part where you know you're going to be good and you're going to be able to perform at a, at a high level um, mentally uh, to, to be able to accomplish all the things that you're trying to do in a day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one thing I always do is you always want to be managing your neurochemistry, your brain state. You always want to do things throughout the course of a day that produce good neurochemistry, produce good thinking. So if I'm having a bad day and I don't feel good, I never contemplate my business or life. I never try to write in that state, right? That's not where creativity pours. So I do, I, you know, I have certain practices I do. You know, I'll, I'll meditate for 30 minutes before bed. I'll in the morning, I'll be in a more of a ketogenic state. I'll work on my most important business things. Late afternoon, I'll get a workout and I'll lift some weight. 
and then I'll do some more work afterwards. So I'm constantly doing things to elevate my neurochemistry, to get myself in a good state to think from. So the most thing I would encourage people is don't take things too seriously when you're not in a good state. Don't worry about your book. Don't worry about figuring out your life when you're not in a good state and it's 11.55 at night you're trying to go to sleep. That's not the time for that. Get yourself into a really good brain state first, then work in that state. Every musician knows that. You get into the right state, it pours. Tsunami of creativity. You get other times, mm -hmm. the well is completely dry. All you got to do is figure out how do I open the faucet and the rest is going to take care of itself. So get yourself into a good brain state. Um, I like being more ketogenic during the morning and throughout the, like the early afternoon for the mental work, for getting a lot of business work, get work with clients. In the afternoon, I'll focus more on gearing up for you know, an intense workout. Uh, you know, that's kind of my own personal time. And for other people, it might be painting, it might be mountain biking, it might be doing martial arts. You know, you definitely want to take some time to basically get your brain juice up and work on yourself and let your brain just kind of be free. You want to get into those free-flowing trance states. We all need it. And it could be running, it could be meditating, it could be going for a walk. Just get into those states where you can just be totally present in the moment and enjoy what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And the other tip of that is it's a lesson that I've had to learn is you want to minimize any dip. Life is going to be tough enough. The last thing you want to do is take problems too seriously, right? When you take problems too seriously, you get, you, you get in trouble. You got to keep a sense of humor, got to keep your wits about you and you got to optimize the moment. So you minimize all the bad things. Doesn't mean an employee won't steal from you. Doesn't mean a COVID crisis won't come and completely screw over your restaurant business. It's just you make a decision that you're going to optimize the moment. And if there's any way of optimizing the moment, you're going to be the person who finds the way. And if you just keep focusing on making every situation as positive as possible, it's just going to be hard to hold you down. You're going to find a way. Yeah. Excellent points. Um, absolutely. Listen, I, I super appreciate this conversation. A lot of insights, a lot of things to think about. Um, and, you know, not only implement in my own life, but to, to spread around. I know people can book sessions with you. Um, you have like speaking stuff. Where can people find, you know, you, your information and how to get in touch? Well, they can go to the website. So that's www.thegamechangerchriswiley.com. I'll have any upcoming trainings, seminars, webinars on there. Uh, with COVID, I have developed an online community where I do weekly training webinars. We covered a lot, right? So each yeah. what, what I do in the training webinars is I'll break down one topic, be it memory, be it getting rid of anxiety, being it brain-based communication, and I'll just explicitly in-depth teach that topic. So that's a webinar community I built um, on Instagram, social media. I have my own personal page, which is the Game Changer Chris Wiley. That's kind of everything I do from mind, body, spirit, everything. Mm. Uh, I have a business page, which is everything all brain, and that's mm. at the Game Changer Inc. So that's something where I'm going to be launching just a ton of content, library, everything you need to know about the brain, the mind, etc. Because, um, you know, we cover it a lot. 
but it's important, right? Okay, if you have anxiety, how do I change the mental image? Well, here's a little formula to do so. So that's the kind of stuff you'll find on the, uh, the business page on Instagram. And those are the main spots. I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, but that's where you want to find me. So if you're learning this and you're thinking about it, you know, it could be two things. A, maybe you know what? You got some problem you want to deal with. Then maybe you want to do a session. Or maybe you want to learn these skills and apply them in your business or apply them in your own coaching career and help other people. That's where you'd be looking more at like a training practitioner seminar. And that could right. be an NLP practitioner seminar. It could be a brain-based persuasion seminar or just the individual seminars that I do like on memory, on learning and that such. Well, man, um, definitely going to check that stuff out. I hope you all do too. Chris Wiley, thank you so much, sir. This was a, this was a real pleasure. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.